שלום לך, ולידי יושב נפתלי בנט, יושב ראש ימינה. אדוני הנשיא, אני רוצה להגיד שעלה בידי להקים ממשלה עם סיעות ימינה, כחול לבן, רע"מ, תקווה חדשה, מרץ ומפלגת העבודה, כולם ביחד, כולם חתמו לי, כולם אמרו, הודיעו לי שעלה בידי מבחינתם, אז אני מצלצל להודיע לך שעלה בידי להקים ממשלה. עלה בידי, I've got it, said by Yair Lapid last night, on Wednesday night of June 2nd, with less than 30 minutes to spare until the end of the presidential mandate given to Lapid, leader of the Yeshatid party, he advised the president he had enough support to form a government. The future coalition is not unified ideologically at all. It spans from hard right wing to the far left with the religious Arab party of Ram in the coalition as well. But that was only the first major step Lapid and his allies needed to get. Now they need to make sure they can survive a confidence vote in the Knesset and be sworn in. What may happen until then? That is what I will discuss with my good friend Jeff Becker, who's back again with us. What's up, Jeff? Hey, Kobe. So, what's going to be our first question? So, my main question is this. Do you think that this alternative anti-Netanyahu coalition will actually succeed? I mean, they say they have the votes now to form a government, but they still have to survive a confidence vote and be sworn in. And right. ultimately, this new alternative government is being led by a prime minister of a right-wing party, but it is ultimately created by... a centrist from a secular party and is being supported by both right-wing parties, left-wing parties, and a Arab Muslim party. So this has got to be one of the most broadest ever possible coalition in not only Israeli history, but I don't know any other parliamentary <laughs> system which has done this. This is insane. So let's start with the breakdown. Who's going to be in this upcoming coalition? Of course, we have Yeshatid with seven mandates. And now I'm going to speak about the others from right to left with the Arabs at the end. So on the right, we have Israel Beitenu, led by Avigdor Lieberman with seven seats. New Hope, led by Gidon Saar, who left the Likud about half a year ago, with six mandates. And Yamina, Naftali Bennett's party, with seven mandates, but, okay, I'm saying but because already now, one of his newest elected uh, members of the Knesset, a guy named Lier Shikli, said that he cannot join a coalition like that and that he's not going to vote with the coalition. So that leaves the Amina with six. The Likud and the hard right wing are putting a lot of pressure on Naftali Bennett and his party members. Actually, I can say that it's not only that they are putting pressure, they are actually being threatened that much that the Shin Bet, the Israeli security services, needed to put protection on them. At the moment, it's a protection from the Knesset, but there are ongoing demonstrations in front of members of the Knesset houses, telling them that they are traitors. Actually, Naftali Bennett even got a poster with his photo In a kafia, in an Arab kafia, just like Tzhak Rabin, the murdered prime minister of Israel. And those threats are serious. 
I'm not sure that he will have actually the six votes with him. Then we have from the center left, Kaholavan, blue and white, Benny Gantz's party with eight seats, Labour with seven, Meretz with six, and the last one is Ram, the Muslim party, which is four mandates. So in overall, the right wing will have between 18 to 20 mandates in the coalition, the center left 38, and Ram with four mandates, and it's going to be a par government. I mean, they decided that they're going to keep it just the way Netanyahu set it with Benny Gantz. So it means that in the cabinet, we're going to have 50-50. And in the first term of this coalition, if it will last, then Naftali Bennett is going to be prime minister when Yair Lapid is going to be the secretary of foreign affairs. And then after two years, Yair Lapid is going to become prime minister and Naftali Bennett will become the minister of The interior. The interior, yes. No, the interior is Ayelet uh, Shaked. They're going to shift between Gidon Saar and Naftali Bennett, and then Yair Lapid, hopefully in two years, may become uh, the next prime minister after Naftali Bennett. So that's where we stand. But, and that's a big but, I mentioned Yamina. Yamina is an unstable party. Most of its members were a gathering of young stars, if you can call it, led by Naftali Bennett, who formed the new government. It's not the first time he's forming a new government. He had the experiment two years ago with Hayamina Khadash, where he didn't cross the threshold. So every time he's trying new thing and he's bringing new people. Yep. So let's talk about Naftali Bennett, because in the last election, his party only won about 7% of the vote. Yeah. And He's going to become prime minister out of this coalition. So we talk about the amount of pressure that the right wing's putting on Bennett to pull out of this coalition. But the fact that Bennett could win 7% of the vote and be offered first to go in the prime minister rotation, like a lot was given to him in order to get him into this change block, this anti-Netanyahu coalition. Yes. So do you think it's in Bennett's interest to keep this... alternative block going as long as he possibly can. So first thing, let me explain how the system works. Unlike the American system, the presidential system, which says the winner takes it all, Israel is a parliamentary system. So you need to form a coalition. The coalition is built up from different slates or parties. And if you are able to get a majority, and I need to say that you don't need to have an absolute majority. You just need to have a normal majority. So if we're talking now about who has the majority in the Knesset, if Bennett brings all of his seven people, then this coalition has 62 mandates. And if he doesn't, they have 60. But it doesn't mean that there's going to be a tie in the Knesset because the joint list are not going to vote against the coalition. Okay, so Netanyahu and his allies will still not have a majority to fail this uh, coalition from being formed. from swearing oath. So Bennett himself doesn't need to be the biggest party. It never happened in the past, by the way, in Israel, that it wasn't the leader of the biggest party. I mean, beside the two terms, actually, when Ariel Sharon won the election in 2001, but that was a direct election for prime minister. The Likud at that time had only 19 mandates. 
while labor led by Ehud Barak at the time had 26 mandates and that was the biggest party, but it was a different type of election. And actually, Benjamin Netanyahu, when he came back, when he won the election against Tsipi Livni, he had 27 mandates, while Tsipi Livni with Kadima party got 28. But nobody was willing to recommend her to be the one forming the coalition. And Netanyahu, who was the second largest party, became prime minister back then in 2010. The difference, though, now is that Likud finished this last election as the biggest party with 30 seats. Yamina finished with seven. And now, as we're hearing, one of the members of the Yamina party is going to vote against Yamina and against the government. So that'll leave him with six. It might even actually leave him with five because they might have another defector. So a lot of the anger, you know, I mean, if I were a Likud supporter and I'm seeing this, that Naftali Bennett become prime minister with six mandates, whereas my guy Netanyahu, 30 mandates is in the opposition, I would be angry. Of course, I would put pressure on Naftali Bennett. But at the end of the day, you have to realize that, you know, it's not about the individual and the amount of percentage that an individual party gets which brings them to power. It's about the political exactly. blocks. The so point. we had the anti-Netanyahu block, which just came out. They had a majority, whereas the pro-Netanyahu block, you could argue it was Yamina, the Kahanis, Likud, and the Haradim. You know, after four or so elections, they weren't able to muster up a majority. So at this point, you know, the alternative to Netanyahu, they need to get very creative. I mean, they have the numbers. It's just, you know, how different each party is in the anti-Netanyahu block from each other. I mean, you know, they have to make some really big compromises in order to stay afloat. You know, one of them being letting Bennett go first as prime minister, even though he's representing one of the smallest parties, whereas Yair Lapid finished with 17 mandates, deferred to go second in the term. But at this point, you know, as we still have about a week left to go until there's a vote of confidence for the government. I mean, a, a lot can happen until then. You know, there are people talking about Yamina's MKs might defect. You know, no one knows if the joint list, which is the Arab party that's not in the coalition, if they're going to vote against it. So it's going to come down to the wire whether or not this alternative government can even come into existence, let alone if it does come into existence, the amount of hurdles it's going to have to face right off the bat. There is no doubt that it's the most fragile coalition ever formed in Israel. And I think it's going to be up to some real challenges, you know, security-wise, state and religious-wise. You know, the ultra-Orthodox are in the opposition. And Avigdor Lieberman, who represents the ultra-secular party in Israel, is not only the minister of finance, but he also got the finance committee in the Knesset. We like to call this committee as the shiber, you know, like the tap where all the state's budget goes through. So he can stop anything that he doesn't like if he doesn't align with his agenda. And that's one of the reasons, by the way, that the ultra-Orthodox really loved this committee because they could always put the pressure on any government saying, okay, let's make a deal so we can pass the budget or we'll pass the law. (laughs) Honestly, I know that a lot are calling it the change block, but the main change that is going to be is that Netanyahu is going to be moving to the opposition. But if there is one thing that I can say that Netanyahu and the Likud are really good at, 
is being opposition because even as a government they were oppositioning themselves in many cases i mean where did you ever hear about a government that its cabinet members are actually going and demonstrating against the government policies i mean if you're a government member okay either you quit and you become an opposition to the government but you can never go and you know really against the government it doesn't make any sense but in israel and the likud it's a possibility netanyahu in the opposition will have a lot more time to poke the coalition and to work on trying to break them down he's actually doing that now he's putting tremendous pressure on mansour abbas and the ram party and they are putting him and his, his allies are actually putting tremendous pressure on nir orbach nir orbach is also a member of the knesset that nobody knew about until recently and actually that's a crazy story nir orbach was the ceo of abaita yehudi naftali bennett's first political home in the israeli political sphere he was running against a candidate that netanyahu was running in those elections netanyahu was against him okay bennett supported him and after he lost the election to netanyahu's candidate bennett told him come and join me we are friends be with me he left the bite ayd and now he's giving bennett a hard time as well the real crazy thing about it is that not only that he is going against his friend it's that when you look at it it's not that netanyahu can have a majority in this knesset netanyahu was failed to form a coalition because he still needs either the arab votes or gidon sar or avigdor liberman's votes none of them is willing to go with him and they are a hard right wing i will always mention it so the only thing he can hope for is that this government will fail and that he will become the savior again of israel that they go to a fifth election essentially yeah my guess by the way it won't last more than a year i mean when i was in service i served uh, in the armored brigade and we had a saying אם לא תהיו תלויים אחד בשני, תהיו תלויים אחד ליד השני. If you're not going to be dependent on each other, you're going to be hanged up by each other. Okay, or one by the other. In Hebrew it sounds better. And I don't know if the glue of getting Netanyahu out will be enough for them to last. Naftali Bennett is going to be prime minister, he's going to get into clashes, with the settlers with some of his voters okay who would like to continue the settlement in the west bank he has a democratic president now i doubt if you know president biden will let israel uh, bullshit around in that term but on the other hand we do need to remind also that on june 2nd a new president was elected in israel and that is itzhak herzog who is leaving the jewish agency now he served as the head of the jewish agency prior to that he was the head of the labor party and herzog will probably serve not as a president who's dealing with internal affairs like rowen rivlin the living president but he's actually going to be as a foreign affairs emissary for the israeli government trying to delegate with the american uh, government with the president and actually with the democratic party and american jewry Herzog has great relations 
I would say with the old class Democratic Party, I can't say that he has a good conversation, you know, with the SWAT and the progressive movement, but he can definitely help to ease up with the Americans and definitely also with American Jewry, once again, not with the younger generation. So there is a lot of challenges in front of this government. I don't know how it's going to work. Don't you think they, they all know, though, that they're brought together because of their dislike for Netanyahu? I mean, don't you think Meretz and Yeshatid and Yamina all realize that Netanyahu's not going away even if he's not prime minister? I mean, he's going to remain chair of the Likud. I don't think anyone in the Likud could beat him in a primary. They are actually scared to death. I got to tell you that most of the Likud members, most of their uh, MKs, despise Netanyahu, but they are terrified of him. So they are not going to do anything against him, and he's the most popular person in the Likud, you know, from the voters' side. So they'll, they'll know the thing is, it's not like once the alternative government comes to power, like Netanyahu disappears. I mean, he's still going to be there. And oh, definitely. He's going to probably give the alternative government daily reminders as to why they are in existence. Because he's going to try and, you know, torpedo their entire coalition. So, you know, you have that gluing them together. And you also have the fact that a lot of these parties in the coalition now, in the alternative coalition, they haven't been in government in like over a decade, some of them. I mean, Merits, Labor, Yeshatid, they've been out for a while. I mean, specifically the left, as well as, you know, this is the first time Rahm's going to be in the government. They want to be able to- They're not officially going to be in the government, they're in the coalition. Yeah, but I mean, they're going to want to be able to prove to their constituencies that, you right. know, even though that they've been irrelevant so for so long that they can do things to make themselves relevant again. And, you know, that goes even for someone like Avigdor Lieberman, who's promising the secular Israeli world all these things against the Haredim. I mean, he's going to want to um, make his presence known. And then you have Naftali Bennett and Gideon Saar, who are the two other right-wingers in the alternative government. I mean, if you think about it from Bennett's perspective as being the next prime minister with only 6% of the vote, I mean, I honestly don't see how Naftali Bennett gets a vote from a right winger ever again. I would think that this might be Bennett's like final and only opportunity in Israeli politics, because if this thing collapses with him at the prime minister's seat when it collapsed, he never had support on the left, but his right-wing support already is pretty much evaporated. So his interest in keeping this thing going for as long as possible is a personal interest to him also, because this is probably going to be the last time he's ever in a leadership role. And I guess, you know, from Sa'ar's perspective, I mean, what else can you really do? They all promise their constituencies something, and they need to make use out of that. Right. It's a hard situation for everybody. I mean, you're mentioning that for Labour and Meretz, it's a first time in the coalition uh, for a long time. We need to remind our audience that Labour Party, the whole line of the newly elected members of the Knesset are new. Only two members of the Knesset come from prior Knessets, which is Merav Michaeli, the current leader of the Labour Party, and Omer Barlev who wasn't elected the last time because they were in a joint list with Meretz, and he was number nine in the list. He did not get in to the last Knesset. And to Meretz, it's actually the first time since the Barak government in 1999, in 20 years, that they are in a coalition. So it's 20 years, they have nobody. 
I think it's actually, for Israel, it's great because you have people that they are hungry to prove that they are succeeding, okay? That they really want to make a change. They're not into stagnation and to keeping things as they were. The question is, how much runway will they have? Because if you're looking at it, Israel is facing, just like most of the world, by the way, an economic struggle after COVID, okay? The state's deficit is huge, and you need to see how you are covering up for that. So it means that you have to tighten the budget. Security-wise, it's going to be tense. I don't know if Hamas or Hezbollah will try to challenge the government. And if they will, surely Netanyahu will challenge them from the right, poking at them that they are being incapable of working against the threats because of uh, Mansour Abbas and the coalition. And then you have gay rights. You have so many issues that they can fight on that it will take a lot of goodwill from both sides. You were mentioning Bennett. I agree with you 100%. Bennett is now in a tough situation. Bennett made tremendous mistakes over time. I mean, his whole campaign, unlike Saar and Lieberman, who said it from the beginning, we are not going with Netanyahu, we are the right wing. And by the way, nobody is uh, rallying against them because they were clear. They said, listen, you want a right-wing government? Replace Netanyahu, we will join a right-wing government. Both of them said it, okay? Bennett did not say it. Bennett was playing on two sides of the courts, trying to play with everybody. You know, two days prior to the election, he announced clearly that he's not going to sit under Yair Lapid, that they don't share the same agenda, and that he wants a right-wing government. I will say that he gave it a chance, by the way, but Netanyahu wasn't able to cope between Bezalel Smotrich and Mansour Abbas. And by the way, Mansour Abbas was willing to sit with Smotrich, and Bezalel Smotrich denied an Arab support for a Jewish coalition. So Bennett actually, for now, he has no cards left in his sleeve, And that's one of the reasons I think that Ayelet Shaked is playing now, hard to get. She was playing with everybody. It is, I will say, ideologically, it is a hard decision for her. But I also think that she's trying to blink to the Likud. That's the party where she want to end at, at one point. She sees herself as a future leader of the right-wing camp in Israel. So she was trying to prove her people that she's fighting at least for some of the things. Now, look, I don't think that this government will change anything besides replacing Netanyahu. That's the only thing in the change block. But I'm waiting to see what will happen until the Knesset will uh, come together to elect this uh, coalition and this government. And we're going to have some time for that because the Speaker of the House is from the Likud. The change block made a tremendous mistake leaving the position in the liquid hands. And so the change block's like, already fighting. They've oh, definitely. They've, one day after their announcement, they're already butting heads about when they can change the speaker of the Knesset and who they can put in uh, Yariv Levin's place as the current speaker yes. of the Knesset. And it's ridiculous because if they're going to play who's bending whose arm, it's not going to work. And I don't get why they need to do that, if to be honest, you want to have the power up front and not, you know, wait for somebody's mercy. And that's what is Yariv Levin is doing. By the way, if Lapid was able to make the announcements on Tuesday, 
I'm saying maybe he would have been able to ask for a special Knesset meeting on Wednesday because the Knesset work days are between Monday and Wednesday. Since it was midnight, Yariv Levin said, okay, we're going to discuss it Monday because that's the next day the Knesset works. And technically, you know, with legal uh, games, he can wait for almost 10 days from now. I mean, until June 12th, until he's calling this meeting. I will say that in all times, speakers of the house did not do those games. But with today's Likud that has no boundaries and nothing is important besides winning and being in power, it's a disgrace that he is doing it. But what can I say? As we say in Hebrew, it's kasher aval masriach. It's kosher, but it smells bad, of course. <laughs> so we talked about Bennett's angle on this. What about Lapid, who's not going to be prime minister first, but ultimately this is his government. He was responsible for putting it together. He's going to be responsible for keeping it together. Lapid, the difference is, you know, Bennett needs this to go on as long as possible because pretty much he's lost almost all of his support. Thing is, Lapid can come out of this with the same amount of support he has now, if not probably even stronger. So what do you think his angle is in this and how effective do you think he has been and will be? So even if the government will not succeed and it will dissolve in a year, Yair Lapid for now is a winner because he showed that he's the more mature and, you know, that he's trying. He walked on thin ice here. I mean, he was playing well with his cards. But I would say, actually, you know, from the way I see it, he didn't show any leadership. When his voice was needed, he wasn't heard because he was afraid to annoy his change block buddies from the right. You hardly heard him when we had uh, Operation Shomer Homot in Gaza. I will give the credit to Naftali Bennett, what Naftali Bennett did with COVID, for example. And actually, when we had uh, past uh, military clashes with Hamas, he would go to the borderline, he would show that he's a leader and talk to people. And that's what gave him, by the way, when he was, as you call it, the parking lot for voters until recently, that was because of that. Because when he was through the COVID crisis, he actually spent a lot of time, as you say, with the people. He went to see what's happening with businesses and he spoke and he showed that he's presenting some sort of a solution. With Yair Lapid, you don't hear any solution for anything. So I don't know, besides the good looks and the nice smile, I really hope that it's going to be more than that. But definitely for him, at the moment, he's on the horse. So, so he's, him, just gonna, he's going to want to keep riding it. So that's his interest in keeping this going. As long as this government remains intact, that's his course. victory. Of course. But I think that the coalition will need to figure out a way to work together and to slam the Likud. I mean, if they want to keep it together and to block Netanyahu from returning, they will have to play as a team and not as a group of individuals. I doubt if it will happen, but I really hope it will. The state of Israel needs this refreshing change in governance because most of the ministers of the cabinet members, they don't even remember why they are there. They are not serving the people. I would say, though, if I already had to pick um, a silver lining in all of this, the fact that Ra'am is in the coalition, do you think that this will set a precedent going forward where the Arab parties, whether it be 
Ayman Oda and the joint list or Mansour Abbas and Ra'am just being more fair game in coalitions going forward? I believe they will. I don't think they will join. What happens now is that Netanyahu legitimized Mansour Abbas, but he kept on delegitimizing the joint list. And because of that, both Bennett and Saar were walking around the question of how to get Ram's support. Instead of saying, you know, loud and clear, Netanyahu legitimized them, he was willing to cope with them, he was negotiating with them, and getting all of that out, they were on the defense. With an opposition like the Likud, they will need to do a lot more than being on the defense. They will have to go offense if they want to stay and bend the Likud from getting back into power. That's where we stand now. Now it's the third. We have until June 12th to see if this uh, government will be sworn off. And I guess we'll meet again to discuss after it's uh, happening, if it's happening. A lot can happen in the next uh, two weeks. Oh, definitely. Look, most people don't remember, and we're going to have an episode about it, but in 1991, Shimon Peres, who was in a unity government with Yitzhak Shamir, was trying to set up a different coalition. It was known later on as Hatargila Masriach, the stink trick, and eventually it didn't work out for him. He actually set a coalition agreement with an Arab party, but... Two members of the Knesset from Aguda, okay, from uh, UTJ, just uh, disappeared from the Knesset. So he lost the vote, and Shamir formed a different coalition, and Shimon Peres, from then they said that he was a loser. That was the first time that they tagged him as a loser, even though he has a lot of credit in Israel's history. But that's a topic for a different episode. (laughs) All right, Kobe, I'll be back here in a couple more days to go over the updates. So thanks for having me on again. Hey, thank you very much for joining me. Always a pleasure. And stay tuned for the next episode. Have a good one. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and wanted to thank you for joining me. If you like my podcast, feel free to rank it and share it with others. I also invite you to subscribe to my podcast so you will get updates when a new episode is on the air. And last but not least, I invite you to check my website, Balagan, www.balagan.ltd, for more content about Israel's history and politics. Bye for now, and have a great day.